Let me pray for this. Father, I just thank you that we can gather together today here in the hall. And that, Father, we can also be online for those that are unable to make it. I just pray, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Open our minds to hear from you. Open our ears that we will receive. And let our spirits be ready for what you have for us today. Lord, I offer myself as your instrument this morning to bring your word. And I thank you that I can speak it. And Holy Spirit, take what I say and touch the people in the way you want to touch them. Let them hear what you want to say through me this morning. Not my words, but you speaking through me this morning. So thank you. Thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Last week... Online, I spoke about grace for transformation. Even though we were on holiday, we could do that through technology. And it was the beginning of the series on transformation then that we're going to carry on through this autumn term. Um, as I said last week, my message was based on a message that I preached in 2018. And I'm going to be doing that again today. I've got a message that I used that I spoke then as the basis for today. Today, I want to speak about being transformed by Christ. Revisiting a little bit of my message of grace for transformation from last week, but coming from a slightly different angle. What does being transformed by Christ mean to us? What are the ramifications in our lives and in the way that we live in the world today? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We've just celebrated communion, remembering that act. That I have been crucified with Christ. When he was crucified, we were crucified with him. I want us all to read this out aloud. Okay, Proclaim it and declare it over yourself now. If you're unsure if your life has been crucified with Christ, still declare it, and we can deal with the uncertainty at the end of this meeting. Okay, so let's read this together. It's an incredibly powerful verse with immense implications for us. Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Powerful, powerful verse that. What does this mean? Okay, I'm so glad you asked. It means my old sinful nature, the one I was born with, has been crucified, killed, done away with. David spoke about it, though he was in sin in his mother's womb. So even in creation of us, we were in sin. That's the sinful nature that we had from before we were born. And this happened when I surrendered my life to Christ and asked him to become my Lord and Savior. That was a time when there was a change. My old sinful nature was crucified, killed, done away with. At that moment and from then onwards, 
I'm a new person, a new creation. Transformation has taken place and transformation is taking place. It's an ongoing process. We are told this in scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. At that moment of surrender, a transformation took place in my life. The old me was gone, done away with, and a new me was born. That's why we talk about being born again. I became a new person. The outside might still look the same, although it's aged over the 40 plus years that, uh, since that happened. But that's still the same. But on the inside, there's a whole new me being shaped and formed. This is in fulfillment with the prophetic word found in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jill spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in, in her message where she spoke about the, the two hearts, the old and the new. God takes out the old, corrupt, hard heart, the heart of stone, and replaces it with the heart of flesh, one that is filled with his life-giving, life-changing presence. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is placed in us at that time, and it is the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us to follow the decrees and will of Father God. All my desires to serve God and to follow God are given by Him. He puts them inside of me. That is the first step of transformation. There's a second step according to the biblical pattern as found in Scripture. After repentance, we are baptized. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon and filled the disciples gathered in the upper room with His presence. The people of Jerusalem thought they were drunk when they came out onto the streets. But Peter spoke to the crowd and explained what had happened. He preached the first gospel message. And afterwards, the question was asked, what must we do? The response from the crowds that were out there, what must we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Baptism is a sacramental act that shows us what God has done for us. A few weeks ago, we did the whole sacramental act when we baptized Marty. If you were there or were watching it online, you would remember me reading this following scripture. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7 and verse 11. You and I are to count ourselves dead to sin. We are no longer under the grip of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are freed from sin because we have died. We've been crucified, buried, and have risen with Christ. We are dead to sin, but alive to God. And that's the symbolism in baptism in water. Because of this transformation, sin has no hold on me. But I can still choose to sin if I want to. But why would I choose to do something that is no longer natural for me to do? My nature has changed, and with it, my behavior changes. Not by my own strength or my own self-determination, but by the divine power that God has given to me and placed inside of me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. God's divine power enables us to participate in his divine nature. He has done it for us. We just need to keep reminding ourselves that God has done it. And one of the best ways to do this is to spend time in his word. It's a progression that we get to work on with God. It doesn't just happen. Look at what this portion of scripture says. It says, make every effort. Not occasionally do it, but put effort into it. To add to your. It is a progression that takes time and input from us. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, God wants to have these qualities growing in us. More and more all the time. Not just little bits, but an increasing measure of them. This is about transformation of the mind that leads to transformation of our faith, actions, and practices. Transformation is a process. And sometimes there are setbacks to this process. When we stumble and do something that we know is not right. When we sin. That's a setback. So what happens when I do sin? Or when we do sin? Does that make me a sinner? No, not at all. My status is perfect. According to scripture, I am a saint. That is how God sees me. But my sinlessness is being worked out in my life. It is a process. But it's also not a license to sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, 
We make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through 2 chapter 2 verse 1. If we claim to be without sin, the world today doesn't see sin in the same way that the Bible-believing Christians do. How many times have you heard someone say, but I'm a good person? They don't see themselves as a sinner, but rather as good or bad. And it's all relative. Most times they compare themselves to other people. They don't have a fixed, hard, fast rule to compare themselves again against. What about you and me? When I do sin, I need to be quick to turn to God and repent. It is a time to run to God, not run from God. That was the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. They tried to run and hide from God. Do you think God didn't know where they were when he said to Adam, where are you? was talking more about his spiritual life than his physical positioning in the garden. Adam and Eve ran away from God. But with David, David was very good at running to God. And while God said he was a man after God's own heart, David was quick to repent and turn to God. He never tried to hide from God or defend his sinful actions. I mean, Psalm 51 is just a wonderful example of that. After David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and led to um, the death of her husband and all of that that took place there, what did David do? He ran to God, not from God. So we are living in a process of transformation. We are no longer sinners, we are saints. And we have come to terms with that status. We have to come to terms with that status. We have to see ourselves as sinners and not, as saints and not sinners. We have to see that we are saints and not sinners. We need to remind ourselves, we need to renew our minds. And there's this wonderful thing that I'd love us all to say. I am free, sin has no hold on me. Can you say that with me? I am free, sin has no hold on me. It's something we need to say over and over again to ourselves each day, just to remind us and to wash our minds with the truth of Scripture. So don't just say that, but also read God's Word. Spend time in His Word and let it wash you and cleanse you. The more time we spend in the Word, the easier the transformation process and the greater our faith is built up. If I don't put any, if I don't put any washing powder into, our, into the washing machine when I do the washing, all I'll end up with is wet, dirty washing. It's only when I put the powder into the machine that the washing gets clean. And yes, it is me who does the washing in our household. Jill doesn't even know how the washing machine works. So it's, yeah. But I'm the one. But if there's no washing powder and it's just wet, dirty washing, that's all. We need to add something to it to bring that cleansing. And it's the same with our minds. If we don't spend time washing them with God's word, our minds will never be transformed and renewed. The more we wash our minds with the word, the more our faith is built up. The more our faith is built up, the easier it is to walk in the ways of the Lord. 
to be the light of the world that God has called us to be. The easier it is to die to sin and live for Christ and to live as Christ intended. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 to 16. We are holy and we are to live holy lives. When temptation comes, remind yourself that you are a saint. You are no longer a sinner. Or, or just a sinner saved by grace. That's something that people like to say about themselves. I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. You're now a saint. Yes, you are saved by grace. You can't work for our salvation. It is by grace. You are a saint. Remind yourself that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And it is in your weakness that Christ's strength comes through. It's not about how strong we are, but it's understanding that in our weakness, that's when Christ is strong. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. God provides a way for us to stand up under temptation, to stand against temptation. When temptation comes, remind yourself who you are in Christ and remind the tempter who you are. Submit yourself once more to God and he will give you the strength to resist and then see what happens. James 4 chapter 7 tells us, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A lot of people just do the, say the resist the devil and he will flee, but they need to do the first part first, which is submit to God. If we don't submit to God, we don't have the strength to stand against the devil. And he doesn't have to flee because he won't flee from us. When we are in submission to God, we can resist the devil and he will flee. That is a promise from God. And I've experienced that, seen it, where we've come against evil spirits, against the presence of God. In submission to God, when we, when we speak his word, the devils have to flee. The spirits have to flee. The devil has to go. There are no ifs, buts, or maybes about it. When we submit to God, we can resist the devil and he will flee. God's word says it, therefore believe it, because it is true. As I bring this to a close, I want to remind us of the verse we began with today. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've spoken about being crucified with Christ and being dead to sin. I've spoken of Christ living in us and us living in Christ. I've touched on living by faith. So now I want to finish off by reminding us how much God loves us and how powerful that love is. All that God has done is because of his love for us. And he calls us to love in the same way. We are called to love one another and in doing so show the world the love of God. 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How many of us have sang, sung that chorus as a chorus, that scripture put to music, that chorus, we've sung it. If you of the older ilk, you would have uh, sung it many years ago. Some people struggle with this. They really do struggle. They don't believe that God can love them because they don't even love themselves. And they find it hard to love others. Because they can't love themselves, they find it difficult for, that God loves them. To believe that. Transformation needs to take place to overcome this. In the portion of Scripture we read earlier in 2 Peter 1, 3-9, transformation starts with faith, builds through a number of characteristics, and ends with love. We need to love God, love ourselves, and love one another. By loving one another, we also stop ourselves from judging one another. We overlook people's pasts and accept them and see them the way that God accepts them and sees them. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. We are to love one another as God loves us. We are to love ourselves as God loves us. God loves you just as you are. Okay, You don't have to change anything. God loves you just as you are. He loves you outrageously, beyond what you can comprehend or think. That's how much he loves you. You can only love God as much as you love yourself. So learn to love yourself. You are a saint. You are God's beloved. Let your hearts and minds be transformed and renewed by Christ so that you can live in the fullness that he has for you enabling you to operate in the authority that he has given you so that you too can destroy the works of the devil in the world today, just like Jesus did. Before I share the questions for discussion, I want to ask if anyone here today or anyone online um, who at the beginning of the message was unable to declare that verse over yourself, you were not sure if it was true for you, I want to ask you to come and speak to me while the questions are being discussed. Um, in the groups. I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision to receive Christ in your life today. And if you're online, then drop us an email um, if you are not sure and you want to. It's office at gracevineyard.co.uk and I'll get back to you and arrange how we can meet up. So here are the questions for discussion. What was the greatest change in your life after receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Number two, were there aspects of your life that you thought you would never be able to overcome? How did the transformation come about? How do you respond to God when you have sinned? And fourth one, if there are any issues in your life that you're still struggling with, share what you feel is appropriate, then pray for one another. Okay, finish off with prayer. The questions will stay up there for us. Um, we're going to go offline for those that are watching on YouTube. And we will open up the Zoom um, connection for them. And they can discuss in their, in their group. So just give us a few minutes for you guys online so we can get this done. You guys in your, on your tables, you can begin discussing. 
and uh, got about 20, 20 minutes or so. So enjoy it. <laughs>